glad you can join us. We have many of our visitors to the expanding light, and we're just all glad to get together in satsang this morning. I'd like to read from Rays of the One Light, and this week's topic is the mystery of avatara or divine incarnation. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. The Bhagavad Gita in the fourth chapter states, as we saw last week, O Bharata, whenever virtue declines and vice predominates, I incarnate on earth. Taking visible form, I come to destroy evil and reestablish virtue. What is the mystery of this divine manifestation? Great avatars such as Krishna and Jesus Christ are born as babies, even as we all are. They take human form and go through normal human experiences as they grow from childhood to adulthood. They eat, they play. They may seem to suffer sickness and disappointment like the rest of us. In what way are they different from other human beings? The important thing to understand is that even as they are like us, so are we also like them. Their realizations can be ours too. They come on earth to show us our own divine potential. The difference lies not in the manner of their manifestation on earth, but in the consciousness with which they are born. All things are condensations, so to speak, of the cosmic vibration Om, described by St. John's Gospel as the Word. Most human beings, however, are unconscious of their divine origin. The avatars, on the other hand, come consciously as manifestations of that divine reality. As the Gospel says in the first chapter, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. from Yogananda's Whispers from Eternity, and this is entitled God's Boatman. I want to ply my boat many times across the gulf after death and return to Earth's shores from my home in space. I want to load my boat with all those waiting thirsty ones who have been left behind that I may carry them to the opalescent pool of iridescent joy. There where my father distributes his all-desire-quenching liquid peace. Oh, I will come back again and again, crossing a million crags of suffering with bleeding feet. I will come, if need be a trillion times, 
as long as I know that one stray brother is left behind. I want thee, O God, that I may give thee to all. Free me then, O Lord, from this bondage of the body, that I may show others how they too can free themselves. I want thine everlasting happiness, but I also want to share it with others, that all my brothers may find their way to happiness forever and forever in thee. I'd like to welcome everyone this morning. As I was meditating yesterday, I felt this flood of gratitude, as I oftentimes do, for the opportunity that we all have to gather together in this way, wherever Ananda is, wherever there are souls loving God, Europe, India, America, all over the world. It's, it's such an indescribable blessing. Thank you for being here. The subject this morning is Avatar, the Divine Incarnation. And it would be very easy to relegate this topic, I think, to something of definitions, of qualifications. Who is an avatar? Who isn't? At least according to those who have the consciousness to discern the difference. But Swamiji, in the readings this morning, he gives us a very clear and singular focus. And it's one that is also very lofty, but we can grasp it. We can grasp it. He says, not only are the avatars like us, but we are like them. We are like them. And it's, it's really a beautiful focus. It's a simple one. It's a profound one. But it's really where we need to direct our energies I was, uh, Anant and I were reading recently the little booklet, many of you have, have it or have read it, that Yogananda's nephew, Hare Krishna Ghosh, wrote about his own life and his experiences with Yogananda. And he's describing his family. And his father is Yogananda's brother, Sananda. His uncle is Bishnu, Yogananda's brother. So the three of them, Bishnu, Sananda, Yogananda. And he's talking about his family and he's talking about them. And he said, as a very young man, Yogananda was very much into sports and athletics and really a powerhouse. And he taught his brother Bishnu, his brother Sananda, sports and all about physical culture. And so Hare Krishna is giving this account. And he says, and eventually my brother Bishnu became a great physical culturist, a great bodybuilder. And Sananda, eventually, he became an artist and a painter. And Yogananda, of course, he was an avatar. (laughs) (laughs) And he wasn't in any way dismissing it, but it it so casually comes across, it just makes you laugh. Oh, an avatar, yeah, sure, a builder, a doctor, a cook, a mother, an avatar. (laughs) Great occupation. (laughs) So... But it, it, again, not to dismiss it in any way lightly because it's really a profound role. Yukteswar says that the, the nature of, of Mahavatar Babaji is incomprehensible to the human mind. And it is great, and yet um, 
as we try to be in that thought and consciousness that, yes, we are like them, we begin to have and develop that understanding. It's a very, very powerful role. They come, Kriyananda, he oftentimes says, the highest prayer, give me thyself that I may give thee to all. And this is the consciousness of the great ones. This is what enabled the, uh, Yogananda to say, I've killed Yogananda long ago. No one dwells in this temple but God. Because without ego, they can give in a way that we can only try at this point to comprehend, totally free of that ego, totally selfless, they can give completely. They can give to everyone, not just one or two, not just a few, but everyone. And that love is so great. That love is so expansive. When Yukteswar came to Babaji at the Kumbha Mela in India, Yukteswar, he looked around and he said, I know there's, there's high souls, receptive hearts in America and in Europe that would be so in tune with these teachings. Look at these sadhus. Half of them are you know, not into it at all, more than half, just wandering around kind of aimlessly and in some kind of, uh, you know, just veiled really from the truth and essence of spirituality. And Babaji said to him, I can feel the pangs in your heart. Babaji said that to Yukteswar, I can feel, in other words, your compassion. Yukteswar was an avatar. So that selflessness that so desires in whatever way, anyway, always to be an instrument for the divine and to give and to share with others. Just a tremendous, tremendous love and openness of heart. And we look at our line of avatars, you know, that, I mean, that is really quite something to simply meditate on that. Our spiritual heritage, our line of gurus, all of them so close in proximity and time and space on the physical plane and so yet very, very diverse, you know, living, expressing the divine in so many different ways. You, you know, Mahavatar Babaji and Jesus there in the Himalayas, you know, again, I mean, nearly unfathomable. And their work and their great mission, because it's a, it's a great mission, it's a world mission. The avatars come, they come with a world mission because of that compassion, because of that selflessness. So their mission is global, it's universal, it's not just for this time, but it's for all time, it's for everyone. In the Festival of Light it says, many times has that light descended, drawn to earth, by the call of aspiring love. So while at the same time they have this global world mission, and they are in a sense coming here to fix it, you know, the prayer has gone out, please make sense of this, fix it, make it better. But that is such a little part of it. It's that call, that love of the heart, of the human heart, that wins the response of God. And they come in response to that. They feel the pangs of our heart. They feel that love. And they come to lead us, living that human life, to lead us to God. And so our, our very avatars, such different roles. As I said, Babaji, Christ there in the Himalayas, meditating on the course of humankind, the evolution of human consciousness. Wow, what a daunting what a daunting job description, <laughs> you know, and there they are. And then you've got Yukteswar. And 
a wealthy landowner. You know, most of us don't think of it in that way. But he, he inherited that. He had a family. He had a wife. He had children. You know, and very few, very few disciples. How does that figure in with a world mission? So very different. Lahiri, an accountant. That could be anyone in this room, a teacher, you know, a mother, a parent, an accountant, someone who does books, also a householder, one with a family, responsibilities, all these differences. So nothing is left out. We can't point to them and say, ha, you don't understand what I have to go through. You know, you didn't have to raise a kid. You didn't have to do books all day with numbers and, you know, or whatever it is that we might bring to the table. There's always some dialogue we've going on with God that, you know, you don't know what it's really like for me. But that diversity in how they lived and how they expressed that divine aspect is for us to see the scope of human possibility. Yogananda, he founded a world religious organization. He talks a lot about how, you know, that was not a job description he was particularly enamored of. You know, and he had many talks with Divine Mother over it, but there he was, right in the thick of it, in the West, is, the, is, is where Divine Mother gave him that work to do. You look at the life of Krishna, a warrior, a king. Yogananda too had that in his incarnations as an avatar, a king, a warrior, one who had to be out there in a physical way with weapons on the battlefield. So there's nothing that is excluded. There's no no part of our life that they haven't done, that they haven't lived. The whole of the life between Krishna and Arjuna, its whole intent is to help us see that process of divine awakening, that we are those waiting thirsty ones, those saints yet not quite yet awakened, that Babaji was, you know, when he sent Yukteswar, it was show the unity of East and West, you know, reach those hearts that you yearn to share with and give them spirituality through your selflessness, through your God attunement. And so Arjuna and Krishna, you know, uh, Swami Kriyananda in his commentary on the Gita, he talks, he describes Arjuna as sadhu everyman. In other words, we are all Arjuna. And Yogananda said in that incarnation as Arjuna, he said that he was Arjuna. He was there with Krishna and he found liberation in that life. And Arjuna, if we're like Arjuna, well, Arjuna, you know, he he wasn't always up. He had his despondency, he had his despair, he had his confusion. Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to live this life? Why is my life like this? Why are people behaving improperly? Why do we have to go to war? Why do I have to hold a weapon? Why do I have to kill someone who is a child of God? So we are like that being. We are like those avatars waiting to be born, waiting to be awakened, And their life, again, they've lived what we are living, but they've come out the other side. Swamiji talks about it this way. He says, because there's a human element in them, in the avatars. We see their humanness. You know, um, another great disciple of Yogananda's, Peggy Dietz, and just a beautiful story. She had a tremendous sense of humor. 
And she describes her first, well, she went to a, a talk of Yogananda. She had just read the autobiography. But he invited her to come for a meeting at Mount Washington. So she comes into his room and she sits down. The first thing he does is he pulls out the family scrapbook. He starts thumbing through the pages. He points to his brother and he says to Peggy, doesn't he look like Cary Grant? <laughs> and she doesn't know what to do with it. You know, she's expecting something, you know, exalted, you know, for him to say something or just, you know, go into the light or whatever. And he's talking about movie stars and his brother and he looks like him. And, you know, she's just trying to put it all together. But there's that very uh, profound and real human element to their being. They do have a personality. They do have a warmth. And that's the whole import of that is so that we can get the teachings. We can get it through one who is living a human life, but as Swamiji says, living it, living as truly human, in other words, divinely human, living, living the human life in its highest, purest potential, which is God-attuned, God-united. And so, you know, again, just there is that humanness, but it is there to share spiritual teaching. So we can't let the ego get in the way. We can't get so personal with the avatar and the guru that we miss the teaching by just seeing what they are outwardly, what they like, what they don't like, how they did this, how they did that. We want to tune into that. We want to be a part of that. But we have to glean from those instances and circumstances a consciousness that is behind it. And that's the difference. Swamiji says, and Yogananda said, the avatars never forget who they are. They never forget that divine consciousness. Do we remember that? Are we always conscious of that? That's why meditation is so important, because in meditation we do remember that. In deep meditation we are conscious of that. And, and the rest of it is put in its appropriate perspective. And we're able to do it, and we're able to live it, because it is in that right perspective. We're able to live it with that divine consciousness. So they never forget that. And when we talk about trying to be like them, that's what we're trying to see, really see in them. That's what we're really trying to remember Swami Kriyananda, he said sometimes that, he says, I wish that when I was with Master, it was such a short time, you know, as far as time goes, but a short time that he was with him in the physical body. And he says, I wish that I had had more spiritual maturity at that time. I could have gotten so much more. But then he has spent his whole life trying to tune in to all of those instances, not just memories, you know, beautiful memories. Yes, they're beautiful memories. But really trying to go deeper within those experiences and glean from them the spiritual truth that is there, enough for a lifetime, enough for many, many lifetimes. So it's ours to recognize that we are like them and in life to try to be like, be like them by deepening our attunement. Swamiji, he tells a story one time when he was with Yogananda and they were 
uh, Yogananda was talking about uh, a simple project that had to be done. It was fixing the driveway at the front of the property, and Kriyananda wasn't directly involved in the project himself, so he kind of wasn't paying attention on that level. And he just closed his eyes, he said, and he just tried to tune in to Yogananda. And he said he experienced an incredible bliss. I mean, here Yogananda was in this human body doing very a very mundane thing, you know, talking about the driveway, how to fix it, who's going to fix it. And Kriyananda had this incredible spiritual experience. But that's where attunement takes us. It takes us beneath the surface of the human drama, the human personality, into that consciousness where we remember that, yes, we are like them. We're, we're, like, we're like the closest and nearest and dearest of family members. I mean, we are really that close. It's not just our heritage, but it's, it's who we are. And so in trying to be like them and trying to remember that likeness to deepen our attunement, as we read in the affirmation this morning, to share our spiritual experience, whatever it is, give it freely. You don't have to go out there and talk about your you know, deep meditation states in an egoic way. I mean, that's not what I'm talking about. But give your bliss, give your joy, encourage others in their spirituality, whatever people are going through. If they're here, if they're here anywhere, you know, is what I really want to say. If anywhere where you see someone attuned and receptive to God and, and listening, really try to, it's not boosting them up egoically, but support and honor that spirituality in them and encourage that. We all, we all need that and we all, all thrive in that because, again, not from an egoic place, but it's who we are and we're yearning to remember that. We're yearning to know that and to be a channel for that, to let that awareness flow through you, to let that divine power flow through you. Because as we try to live that, it it doesn't mean that we have to do it perfectly, but to make that simple, singular effort as much as we can, that's what is going to give us understanding. That's what's going to allow us to perceive, really, the purpose of Avatar. And the purpose of Avatar is that they're fully liberated. And we are very, very close to that. We are with them. We are like them. We are one with them. <laughs>